All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, And we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, everybody, welcome back to another action-packed, high-caliber, rock'em, sock'em episode here of the Crypto 101 podcast, where I am your host, Bryce Paul, joined by my notorious compadre, Mr. Pizza Mind Malone. Pete, how we doing over there, buddy? You're right. It is a rock'em, sock'em episode. I'm here. I'm ready to fight. I got (laughs) my my gloves on. Who's my opponent today? (laughs) Well... I, you don't have an opponent. You have somebody to learn from, and you have somebody to kowtow team? to. <laughs> or if What's anybody doesn't on? know what kowtow means, it means to to bow down. Because, uh, Pete, oh. who are we joined by today? Who's going to school us? Uh, let's see. Who's on this? Uh, oh, it's, uh, oh, my God. We're joined by Lex Sokolin from, is he the head economist at Consensus? He is. He is. Lex Sokolin's oh the head economist at Consensus. Um, he works on a whole suite of products. Uh, and he is what I like to kind of refer to as the token master or the token genius. Anything that has to do with tokens on top of projects. And you're like, you know, what is this? Is the governance token? Is this uh, anything like that? We're going to talk to Lex. Uh, Lex, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. That's that's quite an introduction. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, definitely setting a high bar there. So I'll, uh, uh, I'll, I'll try to entertain a little bit. No, we're, we're, we're going to have some fun. Yeah, while I'm untaping my fists, uh, give us the high level of what is Consensus the company? Because we hear the word consensus a lot, and we're talking about blockchain agreements and things like that. But there's another company out there with a very similar name. So give us the high level. What is Consensus, and why is this company so important to the crypto industry? Absolutely. So Consensus is really at the heart of uh, what people call Web3, the next the next generation of um, the web that runs on blockchains. And uh, it was founded 
uh, right around the founding of Ethereum, which is the leading computational blockchain that runs all of this decentralized software. So if you're using uh, an app that requires your crypto wallet to plug into it, you're using a decentralized uh, application, decentralized software, maybe it's DeFi, maybe it's NFTs, who knows. Um, anyway, all this stuff runs on these blockchains that can execute contracts. And consensus uh, came out of the early Ethereum moment, was founded by Joe Lubin, who's also a co-founder of Ethereum. And it really helped stand up the ecosystem very early on, getting you know hundreds of thousands of developers to build things, getting now 10 million users uh, into MetaMask, the, the leading crypto wallet for, uh, for Web3. Um, and so we are at the, at the very center of what right now is kind of a, a tornado of innovation and uh, disruption and all sorts of wild internet stuff. And I'd say the main thing that we do is help people use blockchain-based software and the economy that comes out of it. And then we help uh, developers, whether they are you know, somebody trying to learn how to code for the first time or whether they are JP Morgan, uh, developers trying to build on top of these systems. And so that's, that's at the heart of um, what we're after. That's fascinating. And, and you know, uh, consensus kind of works on or uh, operates a lot of different products. One of the most you know, notable ones I think a lot of people have used and uh, kind of, you know, a household name is MetaMask. And I know that you're pretty, uh, very, very uh, in intertwined with that. But what other products does Consensus have that are pretty popular? Sure. Um, you know, and it's it's a dangerous question of what's popular in crypto, <laughs> you know, depending on what Twitter personality you ask. Or what, de but, or what week it is out of the year. Yeah, ex exactly. What side of the moon you're reflected of. Uh, but, you know, I one of our uh, core projects is called Infura, which is it's an Ethereum API provider. So if you're a developer and engineer trying to make your next best app, you know, in the old world, you would need AWS to plug into somebody's cloud server. And then in the new world, you want to connect into the Ethereum network itself, but it's it's quite hard to run that infrastructure. And so Infura helps people build uh, applications and uh, most of, um, well, let's say many uh, of the popular decentralized applications in some way uh, use Infura in order to, to be able to perform. And then we've got stuff like Truffle, which is a library of different code. And we also work with large institutional players because we think end of the day, the economy will melt together between the old world and the new. And so it's important to work with, uh, you know, the MasterCards and the JP Morgans of the world. Um, and so we run uh, enterprise chains uh, in, a, in a group called Quorum. Uh, you might have heard about that if you're sort of following the distributed ledger world. Um, and so Quorum supports these big institutional wholesale payments networks. Um, it supports... Um, uh, some supply chain networks. And so, you know, we're really trying to uh, bring a lot of threads together, central bank digital currency threads all together so that um, there's a real economy on Web3 and, you know, people have options and, and are able to do the types of things that they expect. Wow, that's fascinating. And, and you said some big names right there, uh, you know, JP Morgan, uh, MasterCard, I think I heard. So, these kind of remind me of a keyword that we talk about a lot is institutional adoption, right? Everybody likes that 
the meme, institutional adoption, the institutions are coming. Well, finally, they've arrived in 2020. So could you kind of paint us a picture just from your vantage point of, of working with these guys? Um, what does the present look like and what does kind of the future look like in terms of institutional adoption? Are, are, are the, is, the, is the wave really coming? Are these guys really starting to you know pick up crypto? Are they still yeah, so I, away? I, I think the nice thing that we've learned is actually while traditional institutional adoption or like incumbent adoption of the stuff is important, it's really, it's, it's very much not the main show. It's not the main thing. Like the last couple of years with DeFi and NFTs uh, and now blockchain gaming has really shown that the alpha and the innovation and the, the, the stuff that matters is being done in a permissionless global way by entrepreneurs. And I think that's kind of really important. Like we, we don't need the, the blessing of the uh, traditional industry in order to build out a completely new economy that is very valuable. You know, and so we've seen this on the MetaMask side with people using the wallet to access all sorts of new applications, whether it's gaming or collecting or trading or lending, you know, pick, pick your favorite one. Um, and that's grown from like a hundred thousand just a year and a half ago or two years ago to 10 million per month now, which is just, you know, insane. And it's, uh, it's from all over the world, right? It's not from just one place. It's, it's literally every single country. And so I think one takeaway is like, we don't need to wait for the past in order to go to the future. Uh, we can just continue to build that for ourselves. And I think, you know, when you think about the internet, yes, there was a lot of digital transformation for companies like Disney and Walmart, uh, but there were also internet native companies like Amazon and Google. And so crypto native companies, you know, have a fantastic opportunities uh, ahead of them. Now, the, the second thing that's going on, of course, is that the incumbents are, are really trying to think of what to do with all these themes. And it's not straightforward. It's not easy. And I think for the last kind of three, four years, one of the, one of the thoughts was, how do we save cost with blockchain? You know, how do we implement enterprise blockchain into our capital market stack or supply chain stack or central bank digital currency stack? Right. And how do we, how do we get efficiencies um, in, running the systems that power our world. And this is naturally slow and difficult because it invokes things that already exist and then and it can break them. And it also invokes regulation and uh, existing interests. But then there's a second thing that's kind of happening now that's really interesting, which is that it's not just cost, it's also revenue and accessing the asset class. So institutions are realizing that not only can I save some money by having efficient databases, which is a mm -hmm. very, very narrow view of what's going on and I think is um, incorrect, but I can, also, um, I can also provide access to the asset class of, of cryptocurrencies, of tokens and so on, and I can make that part of client portfolios and that can lead to revenue. And that's a much, much easier story to tell. So, you know, we've got um, an institutional wrapper for MetaMask so that um, like crypto funds can plug in and go and do the long tail of DeFi. Um, and we're seeing a lot of interest from traditional hedge funds 
you know, large private equity firms. And I mean, in the industry, you can just read the headlines of uh, Apollo and KKR and the Tiger Cubs, all uh, large alternative investors who you would think as institutions moving into the space in order to invest um, because they believe the space is going to expand very quickly. So I think that's really positive because what it shows is that we're not kind of talking about the technology as this limited tool, we're talking about a new economy that's expanding and is worth investing in. Yeah, very well said. There's a lot to unpack there. So what I found really, really interesting about what you were talking about is how once upon a time in the very, very you know near past, the whole purpose of designing a software product would be to sell it. And have a quick exit in a few years, you know, hopefully Apple will buy this, Google will buy this, Facebook will buy this. But you guys and a lot of people in crypto are very rooted and you believe in what you're building and you won't sell for any price. I know MetaMask has received ridiculous offers and you guys have turned them all down. Not that you don't need the money, but you believe in the purpose of MetaMask and keeping this a a pure software, not having it injected by ads or trackers or whatever else a new owner might do to it. So you've been not just a developer, but a guardian of these Web3 tools as well. So first off, I have to say thank you for all of that. Uh, And it's also really interesting that, you know, a JP Morgan or another large financial firm would want to turn to essentially open source developers that have come together to form a company instead of having their own, you know, private stuff from the inside where they can keep it really, really close to the vest. They're starting to realize the value and not just the value, but the talent that's out there as well in this space. So I think that's a huge shift. You know, we saw in 2017, new crypto companies trying to raise absolutely every dollar they could and giving away their companies for, you know, pretty much the entire equity right away, uh, where now there's, you know, seed raises from new founders that are only asking for like $100,000 and trying to keep as much of the equity and control as possible to themselves. So I thought that's a really, really interesting shift in this space. And in addition to that, you know, now, and then you're talking later about, um, you know, just the new concerns and the new tools that these need. So we've got, you know, a new term, let's say we'll call it RegFi, you know, regulated finance amongst this blockchain Web3 world versus decentralized finance that completely pushes that old guard away. So you've got two schools of thought. One, well, we'll help the old incumbents come along and, you know, meet in the middle. And the other one saying, we're just going to leave the whole old world behind. You know, can these two worlds coexist together or is one eventually going to eat the other? Yeah, that's, that's a wonderful fundamental question. And it requires like a philosophical metaphysical answer because it's not, you know, it's, it's not an equation. It's not, um, it's, it's not black or white. And I think if we look at, you know, one of the best things we can do is reason by kind of analogy, right? So yes, we're in a pretty novel place. And the patterns that are being designed are pretty orthogonal, meaning like they're they're almost they're contradictory to some of the prior ways of doing things. But it's it's not like 
orthogonal things didn't happen before, right? Like we're not using video cassettes anymore and the people still con consuming media. And so even if we aren't using particular banking or payment rails, no matter how many magic uh, sort of Merlin words you put on top of it, payments are still payments. You know, no, ma no matter how many wizards you put on top of lending, it's still lending and it's still a loan with some underwriting underneath it. So I think there are some underlying human patterns that map onto DeFi and the types of things that are powered by computational blockchains. And so, you know, we're, we as a society are not novices in, at, at understanding how people behave at scale and sort of like the the types of behavioral outcomes they they generate anyway all that to say that you know there's one version of the world where uh blockchain based finance is just another lane you know separate and distinct from the traditional lanes but like you get into an uber and you don't expect to take cash and put it into your phone in order to pay the driver that that would be insane would be a crazy person to be like, why does my phone not take cash? It doesn't take cash because it's incompatible. And how many payment methods are there? Well, there's cash and then there's electronic payments over the, the card networks and the rails. And then there is proximity payments with QR codes. And then there are proximity payments with NFC. And then there are ACH payments and there are wires. Um, and then there's payments through uh, PayPal, which is a gateway on top of e-commerce and, and so on and so forth. Like, you know, there's five to 10 major different train tracks for how money moves. And that's just for how money moves, you know, forget brokerage and lending and insurance and all of that. So then the narrow view would say, listen, um, there's plenty of space for a, a new set of rails for this type of financial activity and it'll be successful on its own and the old stuff will you know just continue to exist but then there's there's also the more interesting kind of maximalist view which is that we really are at a place where the internet web 2 has a broken model and where the the lack of value in things on the internet meaning that you know all media objects are free and you can just right click and save as or you can you know get all of the world's music on spotify for 10 bucks a month maybe maybe that's not right maybe what that does is because there's no economics in it you take the attention, you take the, the labor of consuming an object and you take that labor and you turn that into a product and you sell that product, you know, and then you get to fairly dystopian outcomes like the ones that we have today, um, which is nobody's fault. It's just you massively complex system playing out to its extreme uh, and, and generating really kind of perverse political and social outcomes anyway. And, and so now we've got this additional building block of respecting digital objects such that let's say you spend a month making a painting in the real world with paint and on a on a canvas and it took you 15 years of art school training to make it beautiful now let's say you spend a month on your computer rendering a beautiful digital object and it took you 15 years of art school to make it beautiful there is no reason that's legible literally no legible coherent reason why those two objects you know one should be more valuable and the other one should be less valuable in fact the one on wood is uh you know embarrassingly out of date 
uh, and anachronistic. And so why is the modern version of this object not worth anything? That's it's it's wrong in terms of kind of economic incentives and and the lack of markets. And so you you can't buy it, you can't transact against it, and so on. And so blockchain-based economies fix this. They reintroduce scarcity into digital objects, which implies that like we can be people again. Like we can we can buy things, I can buy your poem and you can write me a song and I can buy that and I can send you some money on the internet and I don't need to have a locker of my passport and my address with every, you know, uh, pharmacy I go to uh, online that is then hacked uh, and and sold somewhere. And so I, I find this vision extremely compelling. Um, and I do think that we are having a restructuring, not just of like a payment rail um, for, for the next version of Uber, but we're having a restructuring for how like just people interact, how they transact, what they find valuable, what they think is social status. And all of that is getting crunched up and uh, kind of reordered in large part by, you know, now Gen Z um, and it's being done on blockchain rails. And so I think that expansive vision is one that's going to be really challenging to traditional institutions that um, are not designed on top of a chassis that that looks this way that are that are designed in in a very different manner i'll give one last example because i know i've been rambling on but this is know, great keep going <laughs> yeah. um you know so there's one version in the world where it's very rare for a, a group of people or a person to issue let's say equity or to issue security to issue a share or if you abstract at one level higher to issue an economic interest in, in their activity and their success. It's very rare. Like it's so hard to get signed to a record label. It's really hard to go public. It's even hard to start a partnership, you know, and, and start a Delaware C Corp or whatever it is. And it only happens every three years. And when you do, it's so important, you know, this is how medieval priests felt about writing. Writing was sacred literacy was in the single digits it was magical it was a religion and blah 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 you know you wear a funny hat on top we're going into a world where it is trivially easy to tokenize and issue any economic interest in anything that you do that can float on markets immediately and that has no distinction between equity or payment or a loan or any of that. And in fact, I can do it a hundred times a day. So how does a traditional, let's say, value system like a Wells Fargo or a, or a Bank of America, how does it react, or an SEC or a Federal Reserve, how does it react to a hundred million teenagers issuing 20 tokens a day for the rest of their lives that are all floating and traded in real time. I mean, it's impossible. If it's impossible. And if, it, if, if a token is like a website or like an email, there's billions of websites. There's billions of YouTube videos. You know, like it, it's like when at, waiting for permission to make a movie from uh, a record, uh, not a record studio, but a film studio versus the endless YouTube clips out there of people just accruing content into the void of the internet. You know, and I, I think that's where we are with what finance and economics means. 
Um, and so it's a, it's a very hard thing to restructure the past to accommodate that future. Wow. That, that, that's one of the coolest kind of explanations I've heard, especially like the fact that, or the, the analogy that you kind of brought to mind about how, you know, the banks and the incumbents and stuff are akin to the priests of the, the early, early, you know, humanity, when they were the only ones that knew how to write, they could control the narrative, they can control what people can do and, and can kind of like, uh, understand and all that kind of stuff. And now we have uh, like, you know, blockchain and crypto, which blows the doors open off. It's like the, the equivalent of the printing press, right? Now everybody could learn uh, to, to read and everybody could, could become literate. And it's the same exact thing that's happening. And it's, it's kind of an analogy I never really thought of. So I appreciate you bringing that to mind. Today, many small business owners are busier than ever. I mean, time spent searching for and interviewing candidates can take time away from managing and growing a business. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster. And it's free. In fact, I mean, here at Crypto 101, we use LinkedIn to hire our newest employee, Ryan. And funny enough, he actually in turn worked with the folks at LinkedIn to partner with us here on the podcast as a sponsor. So, so how about that? Uh, you can create a job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Uh, you can focus on candidates with the skills and experience you need, uh, and you can use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people, and then just use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you would like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. So LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster. Did you know that every week, actually, uh, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash crypto. That's linkedin.com slash crypto to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Many of you guys have probably heard about how the market for collectibles, including NFTs, have gone totally crazy over the last year. And the problem, though, is that even if you wanted to invest in some of these assets, the price tags are simply out of reach for most investors. But there's actually uh, solutions to this problem, and I want to tell you about one of those right now. So this podcast is actually sponsored by Otis. So Otis is actually an investment platform that makes it possible for almost anyone to invest in shares of cultural assets. So here's how it works. You download their app and you sign up for free. Then they've got over a hundred items available for you to invest in uh, from rare collectibles like sports cards and comics and video games to NFTs and contemporary art and even rare sneakers for all you sneakerheads out there. Um, and shares usually start around 10 bucks. Plus they add new assets every week. And then thirdly, uh, you can actually earn a potential return if Otis sells the underlying asset for more than the price the item was dropped at or uh, by selling your shares to other Otis members on Otis's real-time trading platform. So there's art, sports cards, video games, and so much more. And I love music. And I actually just saw on the site uh, actually a boxed first-generation iPod, which is now 20 years old, which is pretty cool. <laughs> so right now, Otis is actually offering listeners of this show a free share. How about that? When they fund their account, pretty cool. So all you have to do, go to www.withotis.com. 
com slash crypto 101 and sign up for your first share for free. So that is with Otis, which is W-I-T-H-O-T-I-S dot com slash crypto 101. And guys, terms and conditions do apply. So the cost of living is rising, right? That's pretty much apparent. I mean, what else is new? Buying a home, renting an apartment, your gas, your groceries, and basically most, if not all of you know, life's necessities, they get more and more expensive over time. And all of this comes while not wanting to leave loved ones with huge financial burdens as well. And on that note, it actually makes sense why people do get life insurance, especially uh, term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. So, so why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones you love? And if you're asking yourself this question, you got to choose ladder. Ladder is 100% digital. No doctors, no needles, no paperwork when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, okay? You need just a few minutes and a phone or a laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time. So you'll find out instantly if you're approved. And if you do prefer to talk to a person, their team of licensed... At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply agents doesn't work on commission. So they'll help you uh, and not upsell you. And there's also no hidden fees. You could cancel at any time. And you could also get a full refund if you change your mind within that first 30 days. And ladder policies are issued by insurers uh, with long proven histories of paying claims. They're rated A and A plus by AM best. Okay. Finally, since life insurance costs more as you age, I mean, really, if you think about it, now's the time to cross that off your list. So go to ladderlife.com slash crypto 101 today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash crypto 101 ladderlife.com slash crypto 101. You know, with MetaMask, we often talk about self-sovereignty and it it is, it's tough because often 
you go down this rabbit hole and you kind of self-radicalize, you know, and crypto people can start to, they can start to sound pretty nuts uh, in terms of the claims that you make about how society works and about how, what you're capable, the, the types of promises that you make about the world and so on. Um, but it is awesome to be in this moment because these things are really possible at least to think about. And even if they don't happen exactly that way, even if the downside is just, oh, you know, Visa is a $500 billion card network, that's our downside. You know, why, why not aim for the big thing and be curious? And I, I think that's the, that's the opportunity that everybody in the space has today. Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned earlier, you know, people are making tokens left and right. It can be a very confusing space, even for people that are constantly locked in. When you're looking at a token or tokenomics of a project, what are some features that you're looking for to stand out that make you say, yes, this is a good thing to support or invest in, not investment advice, of course, but what makes a token better than another, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, your point. I, I like all your questions are dangerous. Uh, it's good. <laughs> we like to live um, on the edge. Yeah. Um, so this really depends on what you're, what you're analyzing or, or what it is that you're talking about. So I think that it's sometimes easier to tell when a project is bad than it is when a, when a project is good. Let's and go there in that you, direction then. What are some red flags that you would suggest you know, every listener avoid falling into? Yeah. So if you're getting a, uh, if, if you're getting a vibe uh, from your counterparty that says that uh, they're trying to get you to do something, right? And I think we all know when we get the spam email that it's a spam email. Uh, if you're getting that vibe from somebody uh, or you're getting a sense that this project is being really aggressively marketed or that there's there's some other incentive going on, I think follow your guts and avoid the red flag. At the same time, you can be a little bit proactive, right? You can create um, a thesis on a space. You can have a fundamental view about how the world's going to evolve. And so I think these days we've got um, like the computational blockchains that um, process a lot of uh, a lot of transactions and run a lot of software, you know. And I, I think there are themes around: is this project um, scaling a core computational network? Is it adding to it in some way? And these are called layer two projects for you know for scalability, like Polygon or what's optimistic Ethereum or Arbitrum, things of that nature. And then there are adjacent kind of tooling for what people are now calling the metaverse, which is the types of software that you can run on a blockchain that also plug into social experiences that are they're often rendered digitally, right? So rendered in in 3D or on on Twitter or through NFTs or whatever. And so that requires file storage, you know, so things like Filecoin or Arweave. And then it also requires identity solutions. And so you can start to kind of piece together an idea of how the world's going to be. And if projects fit that fundamental thesis, you know, often that's that's quite helpful. Yeah, fascinating. And are there, um, again, like when, when we talk about, um, those are the red flags. Now, what are some of the green check marks that you look at? And again, uh, you know, scaling core computational networks, all that kind of stuff is 
is awesome. But is there like, um, do you look at the people behind the projects? Do you think like, oh, you know, if, if they're anonymous, they're going to be better or worse? Or, you know, should these people really should have like, you know, an executive uh, sort of history of doing, you know, if it's a supply chain management coin or whatever, they should be, uh, you know, a, a big group of guys that have been, you know, Fortune 500 executives. Do you kind of give any credence to the people behind projects like that? Case by case, you know, so in enterprise projects, which are not likely to be decentralized, but might connect into various industries, you know, so figure with Mike Cagney, who's a former SoFi founder, I think is the best example of an enterprise project with um, a lot of on the ground traction. And then you've got uh, R3 and a bunch of others, of course, consensus is involved in some of these things. If you're going to go sell to industry, then yeah, you you need industry experience, but these don't tend to be things that you can buy in a decentralized way. I mean, there's a little bit of stuff like this in Centrifuge with Jason Jones doing a great job there. And then their MakerDAO just got a proposal from Sogjen, a large investment bank, and their Forge unit uh, to try and use the DeFi protocol. But broadly speaking, it's it's rare to find institutional people of that type who are who are who are building traditional stuff but on defi rails i think when you look at native decentralized applications you've got to have an open mind about uh the the type of founders that are building things you know sushi swap is one of the best examples of a very funky launch with anonymous founders and even you know controversy and a rug pull that has ended up being one of the premier projects in the space i mean really fast execution billions of, of value um kind of accrued into the smart contracts of sushi swap so I, I think in in a case of a protocol like that it's actually really helped to be open to anyone contributing I do think that we are much closer to like a industry set point where people don't just do anonymous projects, but they're part of some DAO, part of some decentralized autonomous organization, you know, or if we want to use just old words, they're, they're on an internet forum and they've got enough tokens to, to belong to a group where they have a financial stake or a reputational stake in making sure a project does well. And so if you, you know, you might not be able to verify traditional social capital, like this person went to this university, you know, and, and or this person went, worked at this investment bank or at Google or Facebook or whatever, you might not have those markers, but there might be other markers of commitment, uh, of financial commitment from, from that particular team member that is, you know, verified on chain through, a purchase of an NFT, for example, right? So if somebody owns a CryptoPunk and then that's verified or um, a Bayes Ape, you might you might have more trust in that person because they belong to a community that's more likely to remedy any, any trust breaches. But all this stuff is very, very high risk tolerance. So, you know, saying to be careful is almost pointless. Um, I think you just have to take a portfolio approach where you expect... Um, some amount of wipeout in order to access some of the higher return profiles assets. Yeah, very well said. And I think the sushi example is a, a great one. Um, how it really looked very, very dismal, 
after you know two weeks, but the community really believed in it and turned it into really one of crypto's best unicorns, or in Sushi's case, literally a unicorn killer. <laughs> when in competition with Uniswap. But speaking of killers, you know, the narrative for years has been, you know, what's the next big Ethereum killer to finally come along and become better than Ethereum, whether it's Solana or Cadena or Cardano. But I think the narrative is actually changing. This is my opinion. I want yours as well. I think these things are all going to become Ethereum helpers. And in the narrative that layer ones are going to become the new telecoms for Web3. Just as Verizon and AT&T and GTE all had to merge their systems together to talk to one another, so I believe all layer ones will eventually, and the ones that don't are simply going to die out, like a university intranet compared to the internet. What's your view from consensus in terms of everything essentially becoming Ethereum compatible? Yeah, it's it's so interesting. You know, just 25 years ago, the word telecom was very cool like it was very <laughs> cool to lay wire you know in the in the ground um john malone the the, the cable cowboy right <laughs> there you go and how quickly how quickly recent innovation becomes taken for granted and like the the version of sort of like accounting and and kind of lame uh which is which is unfair i mean Bitcoin mining, I think, is like this, right? Like seven years ago, Bitcoin mining was hot, and now it's like, oh, just another data center kind of. So I, I do think that the sort of excitement about layer one is, like you say, is going to melt melt a bunch of things together to create Web3. And this is in part why we as Consensus and, and as MetaMask have shifted our thinking despite starting out only on Ethereum, we've shifted our thinking to being a Web3 provider because this this broader thematic is found foundational at, at a multinational level, the way that the internet is. And it's almost impossible to tell a priori what the components of Web3 are, but we can, you know, we can tell what the big pieces are. And we think that Ethereum is going to continue to be the main trust settlement layer. Uh, for for major value, uh, yes, it can get ex- extremely expensive to use Ethereum, but that is that is a price for what it provides, you know. And so it, right. it, it block is space a, is limited, right? I mean, if, yeah. if block space wasn't limited and everybody could just post whatever they want on the Ethereum network, it would slow down and be it'd be spammed attacks. So the the fees are high because listeners complain to us all the time. Well, why does Ethereum so, t- cost a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars to transact? Well. Because everybody wants to do it. It's supply and demand. Yep. Yep. And and so, I mean, but at the same time, we want to accommodate all the demand. And so the the additional layers that are being attached, as well as the side chains that are being attached, you know, are are getting a ton of use. And that's fantastic. And so consensus has enabled a bunch of other networks, including Polygon, including I'm not sure exactly what we've announced or not, but you know, let's we're we're working with most, if not all, of the layer two scaling solutions, and in, in which ways? Well, it's important for people to write software to those, so they're part of the Infura API suite. You know, Filecoin, um, sorry, IPFS, um, and then from a MetaMask perspective, people need to be able to use these chains, and so Binance Smart Chain, um, the the Polygon chain, the you know, AVAX, uh, C- yeah, 
all, all of this stuff. Now, where it gets a little bit crunchier is where the underlying blockchain network is not EVM compatible, Ethereum virtual machine compatible, where it has a different logic such that things don't really transfer from the Ethereum view to, you know, like the Solana view or something like that, um, or the Bitcoin view. And that gets a little tougher because it's more expensive for us to integrate. And sometimes the motivations of people who are launching some of these networks, you know, are, are questionable. We've had $4 billion year long wash trading ICOs uh, in 2017 that wanted to say they're an Ethereum killer while using Ethereum to raise their ICO. So we're not going to try to turn everything on, but we're going to try to turn on as much capacity and as much scale and as much functionality as we can uh, in order for as many people as possible to onboard into, into Web3. You know, and if you look at Ethereum active addresses now, it's you know, Ethereum addresses are maybe 150 million, 160. I th we think Web3 altogether, the, the way that we kind of count it is around 350 million, give or take, you know, and lots of people have multiple addresses, right? but th there's another 7 billion people out there and our goal is to reach all of them. Fantastic. No, I, that, that's, I love that. Um, and one of the things I, I think that is going to help alleviate some of the congestion or maybe some of the high fees, I think will be this transition to Ethereum 2.0. So Lex, can you give us, uh, you know, the high level uh, on Ethereum 2.0, what it's trying to accomplish? And, you know, again, not really from a technical standpoint, just from a high level. Sure. Look, Ethereum is a trailblazer in its invention and deployment and actual production of a blockchain that can run software. There's, you know, it's not a lot of blockchains that could run software in 2016. And that's still the case today. Very few can uh, and do it successfully and not crash and all that, or claim to have decentralization or claim to have economic value. But there have been a couple of innovations on top of the original architecture, original technical idea. And so the, the ETH2 upgrade and I don't know if it's still you know, called ETH2 or, or how people are thinking about it, but there's been a lot of work on getting us towards a set of upgrades that sort of comprise this next generation version it has a, a couple of different components. And so the first component has to do with how you agree on what the truth is. And so today, Bitcoin and Ethereum uh, and a few other less relevant currencies the the way that they achieve the truth you know the the consensus of the blockchain is by proof of work which is sort of you're you're providing evidence that you're spending money by burning electricity that's a, you know the, the reductive way to say it there's that's, um, proof, that's proof of work that's bitcoin that's a lot yes. you know ethereum currently yes so it's you know it's it's a useful engine to prove that the information on the network is true through mining and so on. And this is a first generation mechanism. It works, which is amazing in its own right. So no offense to Bitcoin or the, the existing miners or the existing approach. It's, it has stood up this incredible network. Um, but in many ways, there have been pushback about uh, the electric consumption of this. And you know, I, I want to leave the conversation of whether that's accurate or not, 
or not uh, to the side and just say, you know, one of the key features of ETH2 is transitioning out of proof of work, which is the electric consumption and towards proof of stake, uh, which is, uh, let's just say financial exposure, skin in the game. So we think, and there have been a number of blockchains that have proven that you can achieve similar qualities, meaning like stuff on this network is true, not through the burning of electricity, but through putting skin in the game, getting your assets, putting them on the line and being punished if you cheat. Uh, and so that's kind of number one. And most next generation computational chains are using a version of these, these different consensus mechanisms that don't require machines in the real world. Everything, everything requires a machine in the real world, but not necessarily a graphics card spinning endlessly uh, to solve a puzzle. So that's number one. And then number two is, you know, how do you, how do you put more computation into uh, Ethereum and We've gotten a lot of independent projects that attach to Ethereum and bridge to it and are, you know, layer twos or side chains or what have you, rollups, things like that. Um, ETH2 has a native embedded concept for uh, sharding multiple chains. So for having lots, you can think of as having lots and lots of lanes or lots and lots of train tracks instead of just one road that are able to just absorb a lot more traffic and not like twice as much, but an order of magnitude more uh, traffic and computational processing, and then have clever ways using complicated mathematics to anchor it back to um, kind of the main chain, which proves that things are true. And so that's number two is having a native scalability approach, you know, and that doesn't prejudice the scalability approaches that exist now, if anything, those have accelerated what Ethereum wanted to do. And it's possible that that is the solution. It's possible that uh, we already have the solution to scalability and it just needs to be kind of uh, organized and made a little bit more simple. And and so that can be kind of a grindy, crunchy description of what to fix, but it shows you that people have been thinking about the types of stuff that users often complain about, which is like, how do you make it go faster? How do you have more of it? And how do you make it um, so that mining isn't as hard? That's fascinating. I love it. Uh, proof of stake, I think, is going to be... It's funny. I was talking to my fiance the other day, and she goes, hey, Bryce, did uh, did the crypto guys ever figure out like the whole energy crisis thing? Like, Is that solved yet? I was like, oh, you've been reading too much news. Uh, but there's, it's, it's been solved. Uh, it's just not popularized yet or 100% uh, kind of proliferated. But uh, Lex, I, I want to switch gears a little bit to uh, to the macro, uh, you know, you're you're the head economist at, at Consensus, so we want a little bit of your kind of thoughts and opinions on, you know, maybe Powell and the Fed stating that they have no intention of banning U.S. participation, which is a great thing. But you have, you know, other you know massive um, nations, right, that are, like China that are completely banning it, um, and so. What's your kind of thoughts on like the macro environment and, and kind of how it comes to bear on crypto? Yeah, the again, this is one of these questions where there's there's so many memes, and so you really have to pay attention to the narrative that you're both consuming, um, believing, as well as the narrative that you're saying, because often the narratives are just kind of like flag waving. And so, I still think it's fun to say that 
and point out that China banned the internet. I mean, <laughs> it's they they banned the internet. They got they got a firewall, so you can't you can't do the things. You can't do the American things on the Chinese internet. So there's no information. There's nothing to derive from the the fact that China is trying to ban crypto assets. There is it's literally no information in that other than they see it as dangerous as the internet to uh, the particular social order they're trying to create, right? And so I, I think that's kind of number one because on-chain public um, Web3 is, it is rooted in very self-sovereign libertarian concepts, hyper-capitalist uh, sort of property, uh, digital property concepts as a foundation and then what's kind of being layered on top are these um, communalist concepts of self-organization and unionizing. So crypto is a really interesting kind of political space, actually, because you've got, you know, you've got Adam Smith underneath and then you've got Marx on top. Um, it, it literally is that. Uh, it's, it's very, you know, the, the anarchists are also hippies. Um, so I, I think there is sort of this type of narrative that can explain um, some of the things that China's reacting to. There's I the other. That. That's great. The, the anarchists and then become the hippies. It's it's perfect. It's it, it's it's it, it exactly speaks to yeah, like man. the 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 ethos. Yeah, as if a bunch of teenagers are trading multi million dollar pictures of monkeys, like who are you going to get mad at? You know, it's like the the market that sells the monkey pictures or the teenager. Like it's just nonsense. Um, and so, you know, the other thing is uh, for for China, there's a geopolitical interest around the digital currency that they're launching, um, which makes sense. It's it. The, China's got fantastic fintech infrastructure. I mean, really fantastic fintech infrastructure. It is the envy of the West. What and Financial and Tencent have been able to do um, from QR payment. I mean, like it is embarrassing and retrospect in, in any comparison. Uh, of the the fintech infrastructure between the U.S. and Asia, you know, you know like still writing checks and things like that, but they they've got a national interest in launching a central bank controlled digital currency, which is fully accounted and tied to your identity and so on, which you know doesn't really comport with um, what used to be, I'll say, American values about privacy. And so now we come to the U.S. and I think there is an argument to make that. Look, Ethereum is dollar denominated. You've got to be, you've got to actively refuse to acknowledge reality if you don't think it's in a massive Western interest to maintain and promote uh, Web3 and the adoption of stable coins. Like it, those are just dollars that are being used by people all over the world. It's fantastic. Like you want that. And I think, um, for a variety of complicated and sometimes very, uh, for, and, it's, and sometimes for reasons that are not particularly valuable or, or rigorous, we have pushback from some parts of the power structure of the American government, you know, and, and that's motivated by different jurisdictions, you know, so the CFTC versus the SEC versus the OCC versus the different states. And so the desire to regulate crypto is derivative of the desire to have power more generally. And sometimes that is from applying rubrics and frameworks from a world that might have made sense a decade ago to a world that doesn't really make sense anymore, right? Where 
it it is like maybe maybe it is true that all these things are just securities but what if we have a billion times more securities than we had in the past you know you you've you've got to have de minimis exceptions you've got to rethink what all of the what the purposes of these things are right like because it's not just the definitions it's the you know what do they represent and what does the stock market represent and so on and so forth so while i'm very cautious and hesitant about the current state of american regulation as i think we all should be given the the actions relating to coinbase and uniswap and others i feel an inevitability in regards to a web3 economic structuring of the world and you know regul regulation is a second order derivative on social organization and what people do right so people do things that's the that's that's the reality that that is what actually happens like we all go and we do stuff we go and we download metallica songs on napster and then there's a set of problems that arise and so then people start to complain and sue each other or or try to try to create issues metallica sues teenagers for downloading mp3s on napster and wins you know and then that you create the law so the law is a first order derivative on actual activity that we do and it finds all the edges where people's rights and interests bump into each other there is no law when there are no problems the law is about boundaries and problems and it exists not because somebody wants you to do something that they think is right um it exists because you've hurt someone else with your activity you know so it's outlining the boundary between it's mediating the damage between people it's negotiating how hurt everybody is and then tries to find a fair way to hurt everyone equally you know and and that we need this to run to run kind of a society and then number 2 is like regulation is an agency that is designed to enforce parts of the law and sometimes they act where they don't know what the law is and sometimes they you know they overextend and they could be wrong about their view and largely by design they're a conservative entity they try to maintain whatever boundary was put in place but they're not reality i mean they are they're a reflection of a reflection of what people actually want Yeah and so all of this points to the importance of political engagement if you own crypto and you have a point of view express that in voting express that in calling your representatives like it actually matters now uh for for a lot of people which is fantastic you know so i'm that part of it is i, I guess in some ways almost motivating to to get more involved yeah fantastic man and that was a a wonderful place to kind of conclude this conversation uh Lex we would love to have you back on there's so many other things that I want to talk about but we're up against the hour uh Lex real quick um one word of wisdom for for our new listeners right you know this could be the very first podcast that somebody listened to about cryptocurrency their mind is blown uh from an industry vet one word of wisdom curiosity and uh you can choose curiosity or you can choose the opposite of curiosity it really is up to you if you want to be a skeptic or you know Debbie Downer like you can choose that view or you can choose to be curious and the curiosity will unlock all the rest of the stuff so go grab a metamask wallet and fuss around and have fun 
Love it. Love it. I love that. Lex, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Uh, and we, we hope to speak with you again soon. My pleasure. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.